Hello and welcome to Perusia World Spotlight with Matthew Herman Taig on the Perusia Podcast Network. Perusia World Spotlight is produced in partnership with EWTN Asia Pacific and Voice of Charity Radio Australia. In the spotlight today is Father Pius Mary Noonan, prior of Notre Dame Monastery in Tasmania, Australia, who joined me in the new Notre Dame Monastery group in Perusia World to discuss the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and the Glory Be. To be part of the live online audience during Perusia World Spotlight recordings and to interact in the live member-only Q&A session that follows, join us in Perusia World by visiting perusiamedia.com and clicking on Perusia World for all the information on how to join. Father Pius Mary Noonan, welcome to Perusia World. How are you today? Thanks, Matthew. I'm, I'm much better than I deserve, believe it or not. Oh, is that right? <laughs> and why are you so undeserving? <laughs> well, we have, um, we're very blessed here in Tasmania. There are no lockdowns. Uh, it's a beautiful day. We're out in the country. When I look out my window, I see monks working and I see rabbits playing in the garden. <laughs> Oh, well, that's that's excellent. Except for the rabbits, of course. They're a bit of a pest. <laughs> so it's okay. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, we're going to get a little bit more into where you are and who you are in a moment. But uh, I do. I would like to start with prayer, if I may. And uh, normally we would ask the cleric to pray, but uh, there's a very specific reason why I'm going to pray, which we'll discuss afterwards. So let's begin with prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in celis, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra, panem nostrum quotidianum de nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus et benedictus, fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis, peccatoribus nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in principio et nunc et semper, et in saecula saeculorum. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. And of course, uh, the main reason why I did the prayers is that very shortly, Father, you're going to correct my Latin, aren't you? Well, the pronunciation was actually quite good. There's not much to oh, say about it. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, that's really good news. I've, um, I've prayed in Latin in uh, a lot of countries, and um, so I'm kind of used to hearing little, obviously, each person, each Depending on your maternal, your mother tongue and where you live, you're going to have a little bit, you know, there's going to be a few nuances, but yes. no, that was very correct. And uh, I don't think anybody in the world knows that would have had any problems understanding it at all. Wonderful news. Well, well, before we get in, before we get stuck into the Latin, let's first ask, who is Father Pius Mary Noonan? Where were you born, Father? I was born in Louisville, Kentucky in the USA. So um, 
uh, yeah, the, the bluegrass state, as it's called. Um, mm -hmm. And well, that's where I grew up. And um, I lived there all my years of childhood and adolescence. And then after in, I dropped out of college, university, to go to, to France to become a monk, a Benedictine monk. How interesting. And, now, what, what was it that attracted you to the Benedictines and, and how on earth did you choose a French monastery? Okay, so um, the reason I chose a French monastery was that um, I grew up in a family who, um, first of all, I'm from a big family. I have, uh, there are 10 of us, okay, one deceased, so I have uh, nine siblings, eight, eight of whom are still alive. And my parents uh, are among those who remain very much attached to the Latin Mass. And so I was brought up with the Latin Mass, essentially. And so this is the 70s. And um, um, when I discerned a calling, a religious monastic calling, I wanted to go to a monastery that had the Latin Mass. And in those days, in the US, there were none. There are some now, there are several now, but there were none then. And uh, so I turned my eyes to France. I knew there were some in, in Europe, especially in France. And um, that's why I started learning French at university. And so I was kind of ready when uh, I actually was in a position to find out which ones and where to go. And, and that's how I ended up in, uh, in Flavigny, which is in northern Burgundy, about, about halfway between uh, Paris and Lyon. Very good. And it's, is it an old monastery? Yeah, well, yes and no. So Flavigny is a very old, very ancient monastic site. There were monks there from the 8th century. So 8th century, that's only uh, two centuries after St. Benedict. Uh, and uh, there was a very famous abbey there called the Abbey of St. Peter in the Middle Ages. Whose, whose Abbey Church, believe it or not, was consecrated by a Pope, Pope John VIII. Wow. Uh, yes, and who on that occasion gave to the monks some incredible relics, namely major parts of the skulls of the Apostles Simon and Jude. Wow. Uh, yeah, the monastery had a certain reputation in the Middle Ages, and it lasted up until the French Revolution. Like so many others, it was destroyed at the Revolution. And uh, so the community that's there now that I joined is not historically the same, of course, uh, but we're, it's Benedictine. So we do consider ourselves to be the heirs in many ways of, uh, of the ancient monks of that ancient abbey in Flavigny. That's excellent. And, but uh, today you're speaking with us from Tasmania, of course. So there must be a story of how you ended up from, you know, from the US, then to France, but now Australia and Tasmania. How did that come about? Right. Well, um, the monastery in France that I joined has a, an apostolate of retreats. And these retreats, they are given in the monastery, but also outside the monastery. And when I became a priest, uh, it was also possible to start giving them in English as well as in French. And um, we started giving them in England. And then we had some in Ireland and we had some Australian friends who asked us to come to Australia to give retreats. And so that took a while for the abbot to actually give the green light on that, as you might imagine. 
because, um, you know, for most French people, Australia might as well go to the moon, you know, it's just so far away. It's uh, uh, the other side of the world. So uh, he did finally accept that we could go and give retreats in Australia. And we did that first time in 2007 mm -hmm. in the diocese of Parramatta at a place that no longer exists, actually, the former Assumption Seminary, which was held by the uh, Franciscans. And um, that's where it started. And we came back every other year to give retreats with the, one of my confreres. And uh, there were a few young men who, you know, were interested. I, I saw from the start that there was, there was potential for people who might want to become, join the community and, and become a Benedictine. And um, uh, well, little by little, the, the desire grew and the, my discernment led me to think that it was something that should be tried. And, and ultimately the abbot allowed me to go. Ordinarily what would happen is that a community would, would send several members to found another monastery, uh, but the community of Thévigny, the abbot at the time, didn't think it was possible to invest that much, but he did in the end allow me to go and find a bishop and see if, you know, if he, any bishop was interested and if we could try to get a monastery started in that way, which sometimes happens with just one monk, it's very rare, uh, mm -hmm. it's hard. But uh, if God wants it to happen, it happens. There are, num there are a few instances at the moment, actually, of communities that started with just one monk because mm. of circumstance. And uh, so we started in 2017. So we've been around four and a half years, going on five years. And um, uh, Tasmania, because the Archbishop of Hobart, uh, Julian Fortis, was um, among the, the bishops that I approached, was the one that was most uh, enthusiastic about it. And... Um, uh, gave his consent and in more he really wanted it to, to happen uh, so and he's been a great support all along that's excellent and where exactly is the monastery located so we're in colebrook which is off it's about 45 minutes north of hobart near the town of richmond at the old richmond bridge yep. um so, yeah out in the um the area called the southern midlands and as I understand it, uh, you're in the process of um, of purchasing purchasing quite a decent property. Looking looking forward to a uh, to a rich future for the monastery, aren't you? Well, we hope. I mean, the the property has been purchased. Purchased. The moment we're we're working on paying off the mortgage. Um, but uh, yes, it's a very beautiful piece of land and uh, with lots of potential. Most of it is leased out at the moment at the moment to to a nearby farmer. Um, but yeah, we have, we have plenty of plans to, to later on when we have the, the use of the land and the manpower to, to look after it. That's excellent. And, uh, this is probably a good opportunity to mention for the, uh, for the first time and not for the last time, uh, that if anyone has, uh, any spare cash lying around, uh, the monks in Tasmania would, uh, really appreciate a donation to help them, uh, pay off their mortgage. Isn't that correct, Father? <laughs> in fact, the first time I met you, I had the great privilege of, uh, having lunch with a monk that was organized by a bunch of Maronites. It was a, uh, a lunch. And that was the first time we'd met uh, in person. And that, that was quite a successful fundraising campaign. So that's something else that people might be able to do, uh, organize some sort of uh, fundraising uh, in, on behalf of the monks in Tasmania. 
Yeah, that was very kind of them and very much appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. So let's get into our, our topic today. We are discussing the Our Father, the Hail Mary and the Glory Be. And we're beginning with the Latin, the Pater Noster, the Ave Maria and the Gloria Patri. So let's start with the very first line of the Pater Noster. Uh, Noster quies in celis. Do you have anything to tell us about the translation into Latin, Father? From Greek to Latin. About that first line, uh, not really. Um, it's pretty straightforward. If you know, if you know any Greek, um, uh, basic Greek, I mean, it's pretty simple. Uh, the language is quite simple. Uh, the translation into, into Latin at that stage, the, the, you have a little bit of a problem towards the end with the lead us not into temptation, but um, the other um, petitions are fairly straightforward. Okay. And what about then from Latin into English? Is there, is there, is there any openings for, for different translations? Or if we got it um, fairly true to the original, Our Father Who Art in Heaven? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that is, there's no doubt about it. Pater Hemon, Hoen, in Tois Uranois. Yes, the, the, the question is going to come in as to what is meant by this heaven. Mm -hmm. uh, um, the, the translation is, is very straightforward and easy. Very good. And it's actually uh, quite a special thing for us to be able to call God our Father, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's the first thing. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and the Catechism of the Catholic Church, by the way, um, I very much encourage going consulting the Catechism on that question. There's a, a whole section at the end about prayer, and in there, there's a, a, a little commentary on the Lord's Prayer. And it does say very appropriately that uh, it's a revelation, This uh, just this first word, because um, uh, in the Old Testament, very rare are the instances where God is referred to as Father. There are a couple in the prophets, but it's rare. It's not ordinary. God is, is considered as, you know, the Lord, the one who is, is almighty uh, and uh, who, who guides uh, history and creation but, uh, and his people. But um, when the Lord Jesus uh, teaches us how to pray, just the first word reveals to us that God uh, is our father and he wants to be our father. And, and that's astounding because um, we're not children by nature. Mm -hmm. uh, we we say we've, we've been adopted into God's family in Christ. Christ is by nature the Son of God, mm -hmm. but we are we are adopted. We're just these poor creatures, you know. And I said at the beginning, I'm much better than I deserve. Well, you know, a human being is is a poor creature. You know, we we don't we live a few years on this earth, and um, you know, we accomplish a few things, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not much. Uh, so, but the great thing is that God in spite of our smallness, chooses us, calls us to be his own sons and daughters. And we can say, we can say Father. And um, to, to, to really understand how true that is, you got to know that um, uh, it's foreign. It's foreign to most other religions, non-Christian religions. Uh, of course, the Jews would have a concept of it, like it's in the Old Testament, but it's, like I said, it's rare, and it's not very something that's very central to them. Uh, Muslims uh, reject it. They, for them, it's almost a heresy. 
it's blasphemy to think that God can be our father. And uh, so it's, and it's a pity because they don't have, they can't enter into communication with God as uh, a son or a daughter to their father. They don't have access to that. It's close to them because for them, God is, Allah is just, he's just so different. He's, he's, he's up there and we're just, you know, nothing at all. And um, he just has mercy on us, that's all. Uh, so the first word you could spend, you could spend forever just contemplating that first word. There's a story of St. Therese. I don't know if you remember in, in the story of a soul. I think it was in the story of a soul. It might have been in her manus other manuscripts where one of her sisters found her one day weeping and, and, as she, in her room. And she said, oh, what's wrong? And she said, well, I started to say the Our Father, but as soon as I said Father, I couldn't get any further. Hmm. I was just taken by this thought that the eternal God, the omnipotent Lord of all things, is my Father. Hmm. And that's that's something that changes completely your your perspective on life. Uh, yeah, and though uh, many of us um, have a father wounds, there's a lot of individuals throughout the world who have experienced bad fathers. And so this this idea of the fatherhood of God can be very difficult. But of course, we're talking about a perfect fatherhood, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah. So um, if you will, I think... The, one of the ways to approach that question, the difficulties of relationships that some people have with their father, and it's not uncommon, uh, it's not uncommon, uh, mm -hmm. that people have difficulties with their father. I think it's more common the difficulties with the father than with the mother, even though perhaps it's not a maybe make that general, general statement. But um, um, the fact remains that um, we are children and we are called to enter into relationship with our father. Now, the fact that um, our earthly father might have been uh, violent or abusive uh, or absent. Uh, he did not live up to what a father is supposed to be. Okay, well, which which human father does really, you know? Rare the people who can say my father was perfect. Well, no, no father's perfect. Uh, he he might have been great from many perspectives, but uh, but he's not perfect. He was not perfect. But um, the, the human father is destined to to be the image of the eternal father. And whether or not he realizes that image as he should, uh, we need to go beyond that. Uh, the, uh, it, still, it still teaches us something. I mean, we, you gotta go back to the basics of, our, of, our, of the reality, reality that we, we enter into this life through someone else, through a man, through a woman who, who beget us to life. We wouldn't exist without them, okay? That's why we have to honor our parents because they, we owe them more than we can ever possibly give, which is the very principle of our being, right? Um, but that, and that's an image of the fact that God, the eternal God, he is father in the full sense of the term because he has given everything. Our very existence at this moment depends upon his paternity. Whereas our parents, well, at a given moment in time, they uh, united and made it possible for us to exist. But they can disappear from the scene after that. And sometimes they do, unfortunately. That's how people end up orphans. Yeah. Um, but uh, God, he's constantly our father, and he's constantly this, constantly this lifeline. I sometimes try to refer to it as, um, as a, well, the image of the umbilical cord, you know? The umbilical cord, which unites the, the embryo with the mother, is the lifeline of the baby. If the baby were to cut it, he'd die, right? Well, uh, we have a constant spiritual umbilical cord with God. And at every moment, we're dependent utterly on his paternity, his fatherhood. 
And uh, so that relationship is there, uh, whether we acknowledge it or not, it is there. But our, our beatitude, our happiness lies in, in discovering it and accepting it and coming to understand what it really means. Even if my own father was a bad guy, unfortunately that can happen. Uh, God wants me to understand what paternity is really about. Wonderful. That is absolutely amazing. And and as um, children of God, and we, we truly are adopted into God's family to becoming true brothers and sisters of Jesus. And so there's something called divinization involved here, isn't it? Um, and this can lead us to a bit of a trap because it can, it can make us think that we're going to become God. But that's not quite what divinization is all about, is it, Father? No, well, I mean, you know, some of the fathers of the church use that expression, uh, divinization. And we do, we do become divinized by, like I said, adoption. It's, the, it's grace. So it's sanctifying grace, uh, which is the principle and the source of that life with God. Okay, so uh, this, this is an extremely important point. And I'm, I'm happy you brought it up because <clears throat> a lot of confusion nowadays <clears throat> um concerning the fact that god god is the father of all men right god's the father of all peoples everybody can say god's our father that's true in the sense of the of nature okay by nature we're dependent on god however there's another sort another kind of paternity which is a paternity of grace by which we are adopted into his family and that's what makes us really divinized in christ we become children of the father through grace through sanctifying grace and that is not given to everybody. Okay, you, you obtain grace through the church, through Christ, and everybody else. Well, we, our job is to, to, to pray and to work and to, and to evangelize, et cetera, so they might come to enter into that, that great family of God. But it's not by birth, you're not divinized uh, in Christ. No, you have to be baptized, you have to have the faith, et cetera. Mm. Yeah, so what uh, Christ has by nature, we receive by grace, correct? Yes, well, he has more, of course, than we receive by grace, but, uh, yes. but the, the principle of, of communication, of, of intimacy, how can we call it? I suppose we could refer to it sort of as a, um, uh, a blood type, if you will. Um, you know, grace, sanctifying grace gives the same blood type as our Lord in a way. Okay. And um, uh, even though, of course, we, we remain uh, adopted children, real but adopted, he, he is by nature, eternally the son. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> That's excellent. So let's talk about heaven, quies in cellis, who is in heaven or who art in heaven? Yes, yes. So this idea of heaven, um, there's a lot to be said there too, because, um, well, the first thing that comes to mind is that it would evoke the transcendence uh, for us, even, even in the 21st century with our our technology and our spaceships and everything, heaven remains for us the symbol of the transcendent. It's above, it's beyond. Mm -hmm. It passes us. Uh, we can't, even though we can send we can send uh, satellites to the extremities of the universe. Well, <laughs> it remains uh, It's beyond us, and we have to acknowledge it. So the transcendence of God is indicated there. <clears throat> His omnipresence as well, because <clears throat> uh, the heaven heaven is all around the earth. You know, there's no part of the earth that can't doesn't have, is not in contact with heaven, if you will. Um, it's uh, Pope Benedict in other commentary that he did. I don't know if you've read that. It's also good to read in uh, his Life of Christ, first volume. Uh, interesting little commentary, short commentary on the, on our Father. But he he points out that this heaven um, also refers to the fact that um, 
the the divine adoption is universal. Everyone is is invited into God's family, and so that breaks down barriers. You know, by saying "Our Father who art in heaven," he's not saying as as the Old Testament would have said, "Well, he's in Jerusalem," or as the Muslims say, "Well, he's in Mecca." You know, um, he is above and beyond, and that immediately takes the reality of faith beyond all borders. It breaks down the borders and the walls, if you will. Huh? And um, so from that point of view, uh, the Our Father who art in heaven, it kind of already projects us into communion with, with all of the people everywhere who, who see God, you know? So there's that too. Um, and of course, the, um, the Father... Uh, you know, God, God, God is even outside the borders of heaven, isn't he? Because he made heaven and earth. Heaven is actually a creation. Of course it is. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah, God is. Yeah, then, then it, gets, it gets tough there when you try to imagining, well, how great is God? Well, you can't imagine the infinite. Yes. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a mathematical infinite. That's something people have a hard time getting their head around. You know, uh, it's not mathematical. It, yeah. it surpasses us. It's the best of our concept. It's like the concept of eternity, you know. Try to figure out what eternity is. Well, good luck. Uh, it, it doesn't work because it's um, eternity is an um, is a an ever present moment. Mm. It's not an duration. It's an ever present moment. Not the same thing. Yeah. Yes. An ever present moment. I like that because uh, quite often uh, there's this question of will there be time in heaven mm. you know, if, if time is a part of our being will time yes. in some sense continue on into the next life yeah no well that's what the theology has developed this concept of the well another latin word for you is avum a-e-v-u-m avum which is like the um it's not eternity and it's not time so it's the participation of a creature in god's eternity Okay, um, we will never be eternal like God. Only God's eternal, never with no beginning and no end. Uh, we had a beginning, and, but we won't have an end ever. But we cannot, we can't be identified with God's eternity, but it's a participation that he gives us in that eternity, uh, and uh, which angels have to, the angels have it in heaven, and the souls of the just in heaven. Um, yeah, the, the best way to describe it is that it is that moment of God that we are allowed to enter in some very mysterious way while remaining creatures. You know, how does how does that happen? Well, we don't we can't really explain it until we get there. And even then we won't be able to explain it because we'll just be living it. But uh, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's a mystery that yeah it truly is so perhaps we'd best move on to the next line because we could probably talk uh for a full hour or more on that subject alone. Yes. Yes, <laughs> all right. Sanctificetur nomen tuum. Okay. Um, and of course, of course, you are, as you mentioned before, I, I, I'm bringing my uh, crass Australian accent into the pronunciation of the Latin. So uh, forgive, okay. you'll have to forgive that one. <laughs> no, that's good. Sanctificetur nomen tuum, that's fine. Um, in terms of, um, point of view, the translation, again, um, I guess, little to anomasu. Uh, it's very straightforward. Um, the question here is going to be, of course, the two big questions are, uh, what do we mean by his name be, be hallowed, sanctified, to be sanctified, and what do we mean by the name? Okay, well, the name 
usually refers to uh, indicates the, the person. So it's indicative of the person. So when we say, may thy name be sanctified, but then in Bihalo, essentially may, may God himself be hallowed. Now that's why the second um, commandment says, thou shalt take, not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, because by taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain, by, by swearing, if you will, we are, we're maligning, we're, we're cursing as if, as if you will, uh, we're mistreating God by means of his name. You know, you don't, you don't mistreat someone's name because mistreating the name is mistreat them, right? Mm. So we can say that the name is, it refers to the dignity of the person of God. <clears throat> and the, the hallowed, so the hallowed, the sanctified, the sanctificetu, we're asking, we're not asking that his name become sanctified, it already is by its very nature, okay? But we're asking that uh, we might sanctify we might hallow it it might be sacred for us always that we might live in such a way as to uh the, this was the name of god maybe may be praised in us and through us because if we don't do that if we live a life of sin we can say that in the catechism says that as well that um his name would be blasphemed in us if we live the wicked, wicked life you know mm -hmm. uh somebody who lives uh, in sin, outside of God, even if they don't specifically want to harm God or anything, it's a, it's a blasphemy because we're not made for that. It is a blasphemy in the name of God. And so when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're asking for the contrary, which is, Lord, help make sure that I am, help me now, whatever mm. might have been my path, to, to live in such a way as to, so, so that thy name may be truly holy mm. uh, in me, in my heart, in my life, and in all those who come to see me and to talk with me. Hmm. And God actually has many names, doesn't he? Uh, he he says to Moses that his name is uh, I am who am. Um, and of yes. course, um, he, his name is also the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. So how many names does God have? <laughs> uh, number. I remember when I was a kid, uh, there was a poster at home that had is a whole list of names of God in the scriptures. And there are lots of them. Um, but uh, for sure, um, the I am who am is is remains a privileged name of God. It refers to his to his um, we call we we say self self subsistence. He subsists in himself. He doesn't need anyone else to to exist, whereas we rely on him. Um, and of course, in the New Testament, his name is Jesus, right? That he is the Savior, uh, who is uh, Son of God, who's come to us. So. Yes, there are many things, many more things that could be said about the name. And some of them would also go back to that first question of, you know, what, what heaven is in the sense that this land of grace is the soul, this Christian soul in which God reigns, in which his name is glorified. Uh, eternal beatitude as well, um, where God lives and his name is glorified. Um, yes, so... Yes, I think if that's, that's also the main thing that I would have said about that. Mm -hmm. um, mainly, mainly, mainly living, living a life of, of holiness. That's what glorifies the name of God. And that's how his name becomes holy in us and through us. Which I think brings us to the next line, adveniat regnum tuum, thy kingdom come. Mm, yes, thy kingdom come. Is it so, a straight, straightforward translation from Greek into Latin? Absolutely, with the word Basile, yeah. So the Basilus, which is the which is the king. So um, the, the the catechism points out that it could be referred to as 
as the kingdom or the reign, um, uh, different different senses of the term there. But um, uh, that kingdom of God, it reigns. We ask that it might come. Again, it's sort of like the, the kingdom exists, whether we like it or not, and whether we know it or not. Mm. Um, but we are what we're praying for is that it might, first of all, establish itself totally in us, and that it might spread. Okay, thy kingdom come, this mm. kingdom of, of grace, the kingdom which is the church too. So the mm. kingdom has connotations. You can, and one of them is that it is the church that is the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, and so when we see our kingdom come, we're asking that the church might might come into the hearts of all men and all might accept it and, and become, in their turn, adopted sons and daughters of God. It's quite it a is. dangerous prayer for us to pray too, isn't it? Thy kingdom come, because what we're asking God is let your kingdom uh, flow through me. In other words, let me die to self and love you alone. Oh, yes, yes, mm. yes, yes. Um, well, ultimately, it's again, it's the um, it's the kingdom of Christ. It's the life of Christ that we're asking to that it might flow in our veins, if you will. Mm. You know, when Saint Paul said, "I live, but it's no longer I; it's Christ that lives in me." Well, when we say "Thy kingdom come," we're asking that uh, the kingdom of God, which is which is brought to the to the world by the life of Christ, it might continue in us because you know there's this um phrase of saint leo the great um where he says that what was visible in christ has passed into the sacraments what was visible in christ has passed into the sacraments so christ had disappeared from our eyes but there are visible things in the church which are the sacraments which convey christ to us it's through them that the kingdom is built that's why the church is sacramental and that's why the church places so much stress on the sacraments mm. uh, a kingdom that it's a, essentially a spiritual kingdom but it's also a kingdom that is visible uh, that mm. was one of the points of contention at the reformation you know the reformers were saying that the real church is invisible mm. and and doctors well no the church is visible by its very nature it's visible um what makes it up is and gives it life on the inside of course is grace that's invisible um, but as a structure it is visible and what uh the first thing that gives that visibility are the sacraments so uh you could also say here like kingdom come well may may we live receive and live according to the sacraments of the church that's also one way of uh, understanding like kingdom come and we even uh, back it up by declaring that uh, exact concept in the next line, don't we? Uh, Fiat voluntas tua sicut in cello et in terra. Yes, yes, yes. So that one, that one's very special. Uh, mm. Thy kingdom come. That will be done on earth. The fiat voluntas tua. So beneteto to sedema su, yeah. Um, ho in, yeah, hosten ora nocae in tesges. So, um, we have the same word, chedo, the, the heavens, as in heaven, as on earth. Um, so what we're talking about here, we're asking to be done, we're asking that we might live in obedience uh, to God. Thy will be done. Mm. Right. So that we might submit our will to the divine will, uh, that it might be done 
here on earth as it is in heaven. So there are a few ways of understanding that. Uh, down here on earth as it is in heaven, we could say um, that the whole earth, that it might be done on the whole earth, but also in this earth of myself, in the sense that um, in the, the word of God, we're asking that it might be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven is in God, is in Christ, okay? Um, let it be done on earth. I'm the earth, if you will, okay? Mm -hmm. um, I am made of flesh. We consider that Christ, as it were, even in his humanity, is the heaven here because that's where God's reign is perfect. Well, let that will be done perfectly in me too, mm -hmm. so that I too can be so perfectly in unison with the divine will mm -hmm. that his kingdom may be perfect in me. You know, when Christ says, um, uh, I came not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me, mm -hmm. or uh, I always do what is pleasing to him. And that's a extraordinary word that, you know, or my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. So the Lord Jesus wants, it's, it's almost, it's a passion he has to always do the will of the Father. And so when we say this prayer, uh, may we imitate him in always embracing that will of the Father. Mm. Uh, as the Catechism mentions, uh, may that will be done in the church as it is done in the, in the Lord Jesus, or may it be done in the bride, as to say, in the church, as it is in the bridegroom, Christ. Mm. And uh, he, even, he even shows us that we must do this in duress because, of course, it's the same cry from the garden, isn't it? After he, he says, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine will be done. Absolutely. And he will say that up to the very end. Mm. Uh, he will embrace the Father's will. And, and, and at great cost, you know, St. Paul is going to sing that in that text that we, we repeat over and over again during the, the Paschal Triduum, you know, um, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Mm. Yeah, we're all to die die to self, aren't we? We there's no resurrection without the crucifixion. No way. <laughs> you can't have Easter Sunday without Good Friday. But surprisingly, uh, to a man of sorrows, it's great comfort. I myself am a, a pain sufferer. Um, I've uh, I, I have the disease of alcoholism. It's something I battle. Um, I battle um, an anxiety disorder, which is fairly well medicated these days, but I also have a broken back, so I experience a lot of pain. So hearing that there is no resurrection without the crucifixion is, is actually quite comforting to someone who is suffering, isn't it? Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Um, look, there's greater and lesser suffering, of course. It's always, it's always delicate to talk about suffering with someone who suffers a lot, but at the same time, Nobody avoids it. Mm. Nobody avoids suffering. It's a experience. And um, you can see images in nature, you know. If there's no winter, there's no spring. Uh, mm. After after the the storm comes the great calm, you know, etc. After the night comes the day. Uh, it's written into who we are. And and very mysteriously, I think that um, you know, and the Lord Jesus has shown us that the grain of wheat has to die in the ground before it can reproduce itself and, and, and give life to others and um ultimately ultimately everyone who follows christ has to go that path mm. of um being conformed 
through the passion of our Lord. St. Benedict says at the end of the prologue, he says, it's through patience that we take part in the passion of our Lord. And um, that's, that's really interesting because talking about Latin, the two words, patience and passion, they're the same Latin root, okay? Mm -hmm. The same Latin, which is the verb pati, P-A-T-I. <clears throat> um and the participle is passum right so um it is patience is a form of suffering mm. passion is suffering so St. Benedict he puts those two words together at the end of the prologue and says well it's through patience in the monastery that we take part in the passion mm. and it's through the passion that we become participants of his glory so it's quite simple embrace patience now and you're sharing the passion of our lord wow magnificent Absolutely magnificent. Well, that's the first half of the Our Father. Let's continue. Panem nostrum quotidianum de nobis hodie. And it's, I, I wanted to point out too that quotidianum, Q-U-O-T-I-D-I-A-N-U-M. So it's it's actually not quotidianum, but quo, isn't it? Look, uh, that's, a, I mean, the that's a, almost insignificant in the sense that you do find some texts uh, the, where it's written that way. Don't forget, Latin is a very old language. And um, over the centuries, there have been nuances in the way things are written. <clears throat> you know, like, think, for example, the fact that Americans, we Americans, we, we, we don't have those extra U's that you have, for example, in, uh, I don't know, the, the words in O-U-R. Okay, we, we yeah. find a Latin, Latin which doesn't have a U. I don't know where you Brits got it, but anyway, that's, it's there. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but those are nuances nobody cares about. I mean, it's fine. You just follow the country, the discipline of the country you're in. But it's the same thing. So, that's a very minor detail. And, and it's a um, very strange line of the Our Father too, isn't it? Give us this day our daily bread. I mean, in a way, it should read, give us this day our bread. Or give us our daily bread. There seems to be this uh, redundancy in the sentence. Is that something to do with translation? Yeah, look. There's another instance in the, that we'll see in, the, in a moment where the translation is, is a little bit problematic. Of course, as you know, there are different um, readings of the manuscripts as well. But here, there seems to be um, a bit of a hesitancy as to the absolute exact sense of the term, which, mind you, is also enriching because there are several ways of understanding it. So you can understand by this uh by daily each day but then again it's a repetitive of give us today right uh you can also understand always and eternally so in other words give us this day our always bread if you will so it's a bread that we need all the time and that we'll need forever but give it to us this day and if you understand it from that point of view that's not really contradictory um there's also the fact that as you pointed out to me and we were chatting before uh, we began the uh, with that some versions um, give us super substantial bread, give us as they are super substantial bread. And the Catechism speaks to that. It, it is one way of reading it. Uh, some of the fathers did think that was, that was the meaning. And in which case, of course, it refers to the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And that's why the, um, the church has always said that our Father in Mass just before communion. Um, so give us today our super substantial bread obviously give us the holy eucharist but we can even even take it further than that because um we can also understand 
by by bread anything that we need for our subsistence. Mm. So bread of the body, but but also the bread of the soul, and the bread of the soul being God's word, uh, being the Holy Spirit, and and from that perspective, the Our Father is an excellent prayer. Uh, well, you can be understood as a prayer to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I say it that way, you know, I, um, give us this daily bread, give me the, the light uh, that I need to understand this particular problem or to speak to these particular people. Um, because, like I said earlier, we are, we're dependent creatures mm -hmm. and need God's help at every moment. Uh, the the bread is a, is a is this powerful image, isn't it? Because we all know by experience that if we go for you know any amount of time without food, well, our our energies are depleted, and if we don't get any food ever, well, we just die, right? We just can't live without food. So it's very um, yeah, it's profound. We're, we're dependent on 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 food, like we're dependent on air. If we don't have any oxygen, well, we die very quickly. Um, and the world is also dependent on the spirit, mm. uh, on grace. And so this, it's a very broad petition this, give us our daily bread, give us everything that we need, both for our bodies and for our souls, uh, in order that we may, might, be, might be able to continue and fulfill God's plan for us. Yeah, amen. And, and of course, as fallen creatures, um, what we need comes in the next line doesn't it? We also need forgiveness for our trespasses. So it's uh, dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris. So is yes. again, from, from the Greek into the Latin, is it a fairly straightforward translation? Yes, it is. Um, it is straightforward. Um, there's the concept of the debtor. So there, suppose there'd be a bit of a a questionnaire about as to the, the original meaning of the, the uh, ofeditos, uh, the one who owes. So the Latin says debitor, which is debtor. I think the King James says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's, um, uh, and I think most Protestants still use that, um, that expression. To tell the truth, I'm not certain why the, the Dewey Reims and, and the Catholic tradition uh, had the trespass. I have not researched that. Um, of course, trespass is not, is not perfectly synonym of, of debt. Um, it's broader. Um, so there's the idea that because the debtor, you immediately think of, you know, well, he owes me something, what can I give him back? Uh, but to trespass is a bit more than that. It's also maybe to take, you know, other things or to go into someone else's territory, etc. So, uh, I must say, I guess I haven't researched that. One thing is sure is that what we're asking for here is to be forgiven anything, any wrong that we've done mm -hmm. uh, to God or to neighbor. Uh, forgive us our debts because we are, yeah, we're in debt. I suppose the advantage of saying debt also refer, uh, reminds us of the parable of the unforgiving servant. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the one who uh, 10,000 talents, which is according to modern calculations is an astronomical figure something like 10 million dollars you know it's just a huge huge debt and then he went out and found his friend who owed him like 50 bucks you know and uh he wouldn't forgive him whereas the lord forgave him his ten thousand talents so uh the debt 
just imagine if you had a personal debt of $10 million, okay? Mm -hmm. A personal debt of $10 million. You, you know, who would, who would, <laughs> how could you pay that, you know, really? Um, some exegetes actually say it's actually more like $10 billion. Just to, they don't use the, uh, an astronomically huge sum of money just to say, because a denarius was a day's wages. So 10,000 denarius is 10,000 days wages. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's a there. PhD, isn't it? That's the amount of time that you tend to put into a PhD from, from an undergrad right through to PhD. That's a huge amount of time. Yeah. So you, the idea is that you can't pay it. Mm. You can't pay. It. And so you has to be forgiven. All right. And that's what we're asking God for God, forgive me these huge debts. Okay. But and which, which it is now that's, that takes, that would take us a bit further too. To, but it's important to say a word about it anyway, is that sin, grievous sin, mortal sin is an infinite debt. It's an infinite uh, offense against God because God's infinite. Mm. And, and that's why, that's why if it's not repented, we lose God forever. And that's what hell is about losing God forever uh, in damnation because we uh, have offended an infinite God and we're going to have an infinite punishment. So when we say forgive us our debts, Lord, forgive me that, that debt that I have, that eternal debt. But um, the, the Catechism says, here we have uh, one of the most challenging lines of the prayer, which is, as we forgive, as mm -hmm. we forgive. And um, it also says that it's, uh, um, so this, this challenge, as it will, it's the only, it's the only uh, line of the Pater that the Lord, in the text of St. Matthew, comes back to to explain it if you read that right afterwards he says if you don't forgive uh, others their sins god won't forgive you either okay so he's the only line that he commentates himself upon in in text of the sermon on the mount so stressing its importance and stressing its its difficulty because who who's the person who is not inclined sometimes to say well you know i'm there's no way i can forgive that you know we've all had things like that wow that's just too much well, look, it's not as much as what we owe the Lord. It never will be. And uh, if we want to be forgiven, well, it's, it's very simple. <laughs> you want to be forgiven? Well, forgive your neighbor. Not very complicated, it's hard, but it's very simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Simple, but sometimes difficult. Yes. Of course, always difficult. The, the catechism has a little expression that I, I jotted down yesterday because I found it really good. It says, uh, forgiveness or mercy turns the injury into compassion and purifies the memory in transforming the hurt into intercession. So in transforming the hurt into intercession, the hurt sometimes never disappears and you can't expect the hurt to disappear. That doesn't mean you've forgiven. Forgive does not mean to forget. Uh, if somebody's really hurt you bad, you're not going to forget it, okay? Uh, but you need to transfer transform that hurt into intercession forgive and pray for the person who hurt you well yeah. that's where you are liberated you're freed uh you free the person from their sin and you yourself are freed up to praise and glorify god uh, it's a very beautiful expression that to purify the memory and it's the only way really the only way to to solve problems uh, it's like uh you know the problems of, of of war and conflict well you can't fight Violence with violence is just an unending spiral. Somebody has to say stop and forgive. Mm. No other way.
Yeah, that is magnificent, isn't it? I'm sure, I'm certain there's more that we could talk about, but uh, you know, we we may we may this may have to be the first of many interviews. I'm afraid, Father. <laughs> All right, so et nanos inducas intentationem. This is a bit of a contended line in the uh, 21st century, and lead us not into temptation. Tell us about the Greek and the translation into Latin. Right. Well. It's a bit difficult. Um, it's a bit difficult, and the well, the difficult are difficulty already exists in Greek, and it exists in Latin. And um, one of the important things that you got to keep in mind here to understand the way it's translated and the way it should be translated, and it goes for other passages of the scriptures. The ancients, the fathers, the saints—they always had took great care. Had so much respect for the scriptures that um, first of all, even the order of words is important for them. And if something is a bit obscure, you don't try to make it more clear. And the reason for that is that if it's obscure, it is open to several interpretations. And that enriches the text. It enriches the text. Whereas if you choose one of them that you seem to better for you, well, okay, it might be, it might be good, but you've lost sight of the other side of the of the what it could possibly mean. And it's not at all impossible that the Holy Spirit intentionally wanted it that way so that there might be different readings of it. So that's a, that's why, you know, the with the Greek may is in is in sorry, is in so literally um, we could say almost let us not be induced into temptation uh, mm. so lead not now the english translation i agree is not the best because mm-hmm. uh, it's not exactly what the latin or the greek says the the word is not lead it's more um, to draw into, draw us not into temptation, literally. Uh, and by drawing us, draw to draw into temptation means do not let us be sucked into temptation. That might be, a, that'll be a very descriptive uh, modern way of, of saying it. You know, it's kind of, sort of like, um, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. On science fiction movies, sometimes you see, you know, the, 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 the enemy ship that, that sucks sucks the other one into it, sort of, like, sort of like a vacuum cleaner, you know, you've seen those things in science fiction movies. Well, that's, just, that's what we're asking for you, not to be sucked into it, not to be drawn into it in such a way as to be engulfed in it, okay? Because we can't avoid temptation, mm-hmm. and we don't want to avoid, avoid temptation, because it's temptation which proves us, allows us to prove our love for our Lord, it strengthens us. It's sort of like the, the child Child has to be challenged, you know. Dad has to take him out there and he has to teach him how to play and you know get his get his knees dirty, get fall down, get hit, um, and run until you're exhausted, and then get dirty and everything. Well, and it's that's the only way you can grow, right? And learn. Um, so it is in the spiritual life. If you don't get any hits, if you're not drawn in conflicting directions, you can't strengthen your will, and you can't grow in the spirit. So. Uh, we're not asking to be not to be tempted. That's certainly not what we're asking for. And besides, God cannot tempt, as St. James said. God does not tempt. 
So when we say Lee is not into temptation, we're saying, God, don't tempt me. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, God, uh, don't, don't allow me, don't allow the temptation to take hold of me. That's it, yeah. Mm. To dominate me, that's what it means. Uh, and um, so if from that, when you understand that, mm. best prayer in the Lord, don't let me be taken hold of by this temptation. Leave me not into temptation. But it's important, I think it's important to maintain the, the translations that we have, it's it's always a bad idea to change the translations of prayers that everybody knows. Yes, because yeah. it's, it's always a bad idea. The, I'm 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 very grateful that in the English world, uh, the bishops were smart enough not to touch the Our Father, mm -hmm. uh, which they did in many other countries, and just recently they did it in Italy, didn't, didn't they? Um, it's it's just nonsense. It's just. No, you don't change the formulas of the sacred prayers that we've got. Uh, <laughs> yes. there's, a, there's a continuity there, you know? And yeah. um, anyway, and that also allows us to go and ask questions. Oh, what does it mean? Oh, right. And then you can be enriched by what it, you know, yeah, underlies the Indeed. So I, I think that definitely brings us to another line said, Libera nos amalo, deliver us from evil. Sounds like uh, translations can sometimes be an evil that plagues humanity. All right. That all stemming from that Tower of Babel, of course. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, the, the famous thing, uh, uh, traductor, traditor, the translator is a traitor. Uh, <laughs> in the sense that it's very difficult to translate. Yep. And the translator very easily becomes a, becomes a traitor to the original. It's almost impossible not to, because every language has its genius, its mm. way of expressing things, which you don't find in others necessarily. Wow. Okay. Mm. So, said libera, libera nos amalo, uh, how, how does it translate from the Greek? That's, there's no, no, really, no problem really there. Uh, the, the question is, um, um, what's the evil? So it can be evil in general, but it would seem to be more evil in the sense of the devil, uh, the power of evil. Uh, and from that point of view, you consider sort of, it's a short exorcism. Right? Deliver us from evil. It's the shortest of exorcisms and in many ways the most powerful because um, uh, it's the Lord's words, Lord's own words. So, um, yeah, yeah, and it's yes, there's not a whole lot to say about that. Um, in the sense that maybe I'd just add one thing is that if we have it, do we still have it or not? Oh, we've kind of passed the time, plenty of time. The time is flying, I must admit, but uh, I've got time if you do. <laughs> well, I would just maybe say a word about the fact that St. Thomas, uh, in an article on the Lord's Prayer, says that this, well, as all the fathers said, it's the most perfect prayer. It uh, includes everything that we need, okay? Everything that we need is prayed for in the Our Father. And in the private order, that's the question, is it? Are, the question is, are the seven petitions fittingly assigned? And he says, yes, they're in the perfect order because uh, first of all, you ask first for what is most important and what's going to be last in obtaining at the end, of, if you will, uh, which is uh, God. We pray that his name may be sanctified, okay? that his kingdom come, that his will be done. That's first, that's always the most important thing. And then we only, and then do we turn to ourselves, huh? That's what, the things that we need. Uh, and for all those things to be delivered from those things which harm us, okay? 
And so uh, it's just interesting to see, to read, and I encourage anybody who has the, who has the, to get to the, the Summa, question 83 of the second part of the second part, in which he, um, it's a very short text, but it's very illuminating in terms of the order. It's not just petitions that are thrown out there in any, any particular way. They, they are, it, it's a well-designed prayer, which asks the Lord for all the things that we need. Absolutely wonderful. And then, of course, this brings us to uh, the very last word, amen. And, of course, uh, you're originally American, so the question must be asked, is it amen or is it amen? <laughs> amen. Yes. Well, <laughs> I think I think it's sort of make It's more like amen. Amen, apparently. That's, that's the way they would say it uh, I have a Jewish friend, and and uh, he says, yeah, it's more like um, amin. Um, but yeah, so amin means just let it be, let it be, and uh, I affirm that it's true. Uh, Scott Hahn has an interesting thing about that. He says, um, really, what it means is, I would, I would lay down my life for what you just said. Mm. Uh, it's a very strong affirmation. Yes, absolutely, that's what I believe. I agree with that. You know. Fantastic. So, awesome. You don't say you don't say amen lightly to any just any prayer. Mm. Yes, it's it's uh, it's it's almost like um, you know we're we're binding ourselves to the covenant with that with that amen, aren't we? And, and covenants come with rights, responsibilities, but if we break the covenant, they also come with curses, don't they? Yes, 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 they do. All right, that's the Our Father. Now on to the Hail Mary. Are you up for this? Yes. All right. Sure. And we should uh, probably start discussing the, the Hail Mary by simply beginning with Ave Maria. Because, Ave Maria. Because, because oceans of ink have been spilt on that statement alone, haven't they? Uh, yes, more on the Grazia Plena, however. Is that right? Okay, uh, well, let's, let's do the whole line then. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's a greeting of the angel, uh, the Greek kaire, kaire. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the spilling of ink that you refer to would be the question as to its, its ultimate meaning. Uh, it does mean Christ, and you'll find, you find charismatic communities who still say, still say rejoice me. Um, look, I think for most scholars at that time in the Greek, uh, common Greek language, it had become a greeting, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's sort of maybe a comparison would be, you know, in Australia, you meet somebody and say, how you going? Yeah. How you going? Uh, which means hello. <laughs> they're, not, they're not expecting you to, to tell, to say, oh, well, this morning I wasn't too bad, blah, blah, blah. you know, uh, it's not really a question. It's a greeting. So the, the, the kaiare is more of a greeting, and the English uh, hail is good. Well, of course, we don't say hail to people anymore, mm -hmm. but uh, it's a bit, you'd find it in Shakespeare, of course, but uh, mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's by the point. Uh, it is a greeting, hail, Mary, full of grace. So mm -hmm. this, is, this is the word, this is the big word of the Ave Maria. Um, which is, in Greek is only one word, kikaritomene, mm -hmm. perfect participle. And that's important because um, 
it, its meaning is that literally, so the, the, the root of the word is caritas, which, which is grace, okay? But when we say kekaritomini, it means thou who has, has been so fully replenished with grace and to such an extent that there is not, it's not possible to add anything. Hmm. It's a good completion, if you will. And so um, she can't be fuller. Hmm. And if she can't be fuller, that means she was never empty. Okay. And that's why uh, it was, it's mainly this verse. This is the most important verse in the scriptures for the definition of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. And that's the way the fathers understood it. Uh, full of grace means there never was a moment when she ha didn't have it. Mm. And therefore, from, her, from the very mo first moment of her existence, she was full of that grace. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's an extraordinary thing. Uh, mm. uh, very compelling to think. So every time we say in Hail Mary, we're professing her immaculate conception. As the angel did, because the angel, Gabriel, he, he understood all that too. He knew what he was doing. You've seen um, images, paintings, especially the ones of Fra Angelico. You know, it's just so moving, isn't it, to see this prince mm. of heaven bowing before this young woman, you mm. know, who's like 15 years old. Well, he knew who she was by divine inspiration. He knew that she, he was inferior to her. Mm. And uh, so it's not surprising that he, he does bow uh, reverently before her. Hail, full of grace. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, and of course, we should be mentioned here, of course, um, that it's still Christ's merits, one on the cross, that's being applied to Mary backwards in time and space, isn't it, Father? Yeah, yes, of course, that was the whole, the whole problem of um, the definition which delayed it is that um, everyone has received grace through Christ, including his mother. So how could she receive the grace before, before he was born? Well, it was that God, in prevision of his, the passion of his son, already granted her that grace. But still, it comes from Christ. So she too, she too is saved, as she says in, in Magnificat, I rejoice in God, my Savior. We could do the Magnificat someday too, by the way. Uh, yes, God, God, is my, God is my Savior, but he saved me in advance. Mm. It's the most perfect form of being saved. Mm. Uh, and, and which, by the way, uh, makes that she's more indebted to God's grace, and therefore has more reason to be humble. Hmm. That's why she's the most humble of all, because she's received more. Wow, wow! Yes. Does that mean does that mean God has favorites? Absolutely, hmm. of course he has. Oh yeah, absolutely. How do we understand that then? So you know, because you. It's like uh, it's like asking a parent to name their favorite child, right? And it's it's a difficult thing to do, but apparently it's easy for God. So how are we to understand this? Um, well, I Does he think love some people more than others. Is that what's going on? Absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. If you look in the, in the theological tradition, uh, so what what is it that makes that gives makes someone perfect? It's their degree of love. Okay, and that great that love is poured forth into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, as St. Paul says to the Romans. Okay, well, God gives the measure. There are measures. Everybody doesn't get the same measure. Huh? St. Paul says it uh, to the Corinthians, referring to the stars. He says, each star differs from each other in brightness. There are no two stars that are the same. And uh, 
but or, or you could take the image of the flowers too you know uh a daisy is not a lily you know uh, a dandelion is not an iris uh, well you might prefer you might prefer an iris to a dandelion somebody might prefer the dandelion i don't know but i know rabbits do <laughs> for different reasons but um so each one is special each one has its gift each one's different but well some receive a greater measure uh, of goodness than others and uh it's not an injustice for the simple reason that we don't god doesn't owe us anything Mm. Uh, if we were if we were if we were just a rock by god's grace it would be a great thing you know mm. we don't god doesn't owe us anything at all and so he he's perfectly perfectly able to favor certain souls as he does the great saints with the great saints had received a greater measure but at the same time they also had greater duties uh, mm. and it's also important to keep in mind too is that ha, the more God calls someone to a lofty degree, the more he expects them to suffer. Mm. Uh, nobody suffered more than our Lord, and after our Lord, nobody suffered more than Our Lady. Uh, that would be a subject of another talk, too, about the Passion, but um, mm. it, there is a measure, you know, and uh, another image, final image, and I'll let you go on that, is that uh, if you have, for, take, for example, several glasses, you know, a glass of water, you got different sizes of glasses, okay? Well, you fill them all up. Which one's the fullest? They're all full. They're all full, right. So the question is not how big am I, it's do I have everything that I'm intended to have, you know? And, and that, great. that image right there should should lead us to, should um, dissuade us from any form of jealousy as well. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. Because we we are we are getting everything we need from God. Absolutely. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. So Benedicta tu in mulieribus. Now, am I pronouncing that last one correctly? Because I had a lot of trouble learning that one. Mulieribus. Is that correct? That's right. That's correct. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Blessed art thou among women. Yes, um, so that doesn't present any problems with regard to the translation. Um, thou art blessed among women. In other words, among all the women, again, here we're affirming that she is the greatest of all, um, of, the, of the, the women who have ever existed and chosen by God to be the mother of Christ. That's, that's essentially what that means. Uh -huh. I see, because uh, Benedictus, that's, you know, bene meaning good, uh, we, benediction or blessing, um, two right. is referring to Mary, so mulieribus, where exactly is the woman in that? Where's, Where's the, the woman? Yeah, mulieribus, so what, what is the Latin for woman? Uh, so mulier, the nominative mulier, and mulieribus here is an ablative plural, so... Mm -hmm. You, you sometimes, in certain editions, you find um, inter mulieres, which, which is closer to our among women, because in mulieribus would be more in women. But So inter mulieres is, a, is an easier expression to understand, but it's, it's pretty much synonymous. So yeah, it's mulier. And so she is um, the most blessed, isn't she? Absolutely. She's actually the woman. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, when our Lord refers to his mother, he always says woman, mm. and which some 
be a bit rude, but it's not rude at all when you know what he means by that. She's the real woman. Uh, she's the true Eve, the second Eve. And it's uh, it's yeah. the same woman from Genesis uh, 3.15, isn't it? Absolutely. Same one. Yeah. It's precisely why the Lord uses that term at Cana uh, and then at, on, on the cross even more. Woman, behold your son. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, this is the woman whose seed will crush the head of the serpent, correct? That's right. Yeah. And we're absolutely meant to draw that out. All right. Every time he says woman, we've got to go right back to Genesis 3.15. This is the woman whose seed will crush the head of the serpent. That's correct. Magnificent. All right. Uh, Sancta Maria Mater Dei. Is it a straightforward translation from Greek into Latin? Uh, we, we forgot part of the, the, the end part of the first part. Um, oh, ventris. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. There you go. So, uh, blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Mm. Uh, um, but so the fruit of thy stomach, for thy belly, if you will, um, thy womb, of course, for that, that term is more appropriate. Um, um, the fruit of thy womb. So, yes, so it's a profession of faith from Elizabeth. She's the first one who said those words um, when Our Lady came to visit her. Uh, blessed is the fruit of thy womb. So, blessed are you, mm. and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Okay, so both are blessed, which which refers us to the beginning of the epistle to the Ephesians, doesn't it? Uh, God has blessed us. The Father has blessed us from all eternity in Christ. Okay, and um, so the blessed one is from the beginning is is Christ Himself, and Our Lady is blessed because of her role in in serving the great mystery of Christ. So blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Um, yes. So the fruit of the womb. It's not a very common expression, is it? It's sometimes used to refer to to the concept conceived child, mm-hmm. but of course here it's um, it's a special kind of fruit, it's a special kind of person, uh, uh, because um, he is really the gift, the gift of God who, who has come and he's going to give life to the world. Um, um, yeah, what else can we say? If, what well, I suppose what year here um it's going to be referred to in the second part well is the is the divine maternity because it's really jesus is really the fruit of her womb uh, she's really the mother in the physiological sense mm. of the messiah uh, there's a connection there with christ that only she can have you know she really is in the flesh uh her uh the mother and there's also i think one of the fathers says this somewhere i kind of remember seeing this the expression fruit of the womb um, is, is peculiar and also in the sense that he is the fruit only of her womb, mm-hmm. whereas other babies are the fruit of the father and the mother. Jesus is the fruit only of the womb of Mary. There's no, no man had anything to do with the conception of this child. And he's really her fruit, uh, the fruit that he gives that she gives to us by the operation of the Holy Spirit, of course. And, and we're not left in any doubt, are we? If the prayer had simply the fruit said the fruit of thy womb and moved on, uh, you might be able to interpret it in different ways, but it really hammers at home. The fruit of thy womb, Jesus, he's mentioned by name, which is uh, clearly trying to draw us into, into something there. It's, it's, there's 
there's no equivocating about this all right he is the fruit of thy womb yes excellent so then on to the next bit that i almost jumped to earlier uh sancta maria Mata day how does yes. that translate so here we here we leave scripture uh mm -hmm. the first part of the Hail mary is the text of the angel gabriel and elizabeth joined together mm -hmm. the second part is not in scripture Santa Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et nora mortis nostri. I mean, so <coughs> the prayer <coughs> goes back at least to the Council of Ephesus, where um, in 431, when the divine maternity was defined as a dogma of faith against Nestorius, who was who denied that Our Lady was Mother of God. Uh, and so it's a proclamation of faith. Santa Maria Mater Dei, Dei Genitrix. Okay, she who is the... Um, the the one who who bears uh the theotokos the the bearer the god bearer in her womb um and the uh so yeah it's a proclamation of faith in our just at, at the beginning we proclaimed our faith in her immaculate conception here we proclaim we proclaim the faith in fact that she actually conceived jesus here it's really a divine maternity uh the the, the divine maternity which is the greatest of all the dogmas of Mary concerning Mary, uh, it's the it's everything else. All the, the dogmas concerning Mary uh, have the divine maternity for their source. It's because she was destined to be the mother of God that she was conceived immaculate, uh, uh, and that she was ascended to heaven. And everything else goes back to that central core dogma of the divine maternity. Because, of course, if she's the mother of Jesus and it is part of Jesus's nature that he is God, it is absolutely true to say that she is the mother of God, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mothers, so the argument of Nestorius was, yeah, oh, he gave birth to the to the man Jesus, but not to God. But, but the, the council said, hold on, mothers don't give birth to a nature. They give birth to a person, <coughs> you know. If you're a mother, you said, I, I gave birth to a nature. No, I gave birth to a person. And and so Jesus, the person of Jesus, only one person in Jesus. That's a divine person. There's no human person in Jesus. He has, he has a human nature and a divine nature, but he's only one person. So if she gave birth to the person of Jesus, he gave birth to God. It's as simple as that. But does it then mean that she's also the mother of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit? Oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Only of the second person, only the second person of the Trinity took flesh in her womb. Amen. Amen. And it doesn't mean either that she precedes uh, in yes. time, as some, some <coughs> understand it when they don't know. But no, mm. she it's an extraordinary privilege uh, that we are taught there, uh, and that God deigned He wanted He wanted to have a mother mm. uh, because He wanted to be fully human. And uh, so he gave to this woman with whom he made uh, worth, to be worthy of this, to be the receptacle of, of uh, the incarnation. He made her such that she really is, in all truth, the mother of God. It's just, it's just astounding. It's, uh, mm. uh, she, can, she can say to God, you are my son. Mm. It really is magnificent. Yeah, and she, she has maternal rights. Uh, that's why I understand why some of the saints refer to her as being um, uh, the omnipotent prayer, if you will, uh, the sense that she's not omnipotent, she's not divine, but 
her prayer is virtually omnipotent because what can God refuse to his mother, really? What, uh, if a son obeys his mother, and must obey his mother because God says it in the commandments, uh, uh, well, if the mother asks Jesus, if Mary asks Jesus something, how can he refuse, you know? So uh, from that point of view, anything she asks is granted. Yeah, and we learn this from the Davidic kingdom too, don't we? Um, you know, the question would be asked uh, uh, under our own understanding of who the queen is, we might ask, well, well, who was the who was the queen to Solomon? Which of his 700 wives and concubines was the queen? But no, in the Davidic kingdom, the queen was the mother and one of her titles was, in fact, the intercessor of the people, right? Yes, yes, yes. Mm. She sat with him on the throne. Mm. Which, of course, brings us to the next wonderful line, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus. Pray for us sinners. Mm. Yes. So that too, that's uh, according to tradition, the, um, that prayer would have probably again taken its origin around the time of the Council of Ephesus. Um, we turn to Our Lady. Again, we just said that she's omnipotent in her intercession. Therefore, well, pray for us because we we are just poor sinners, you know, we don't deserve anything. We, we're entirely dependent upon God's mercy. Well, pray for us, uh, uh, intercede for us in all of our intentions. Uh, it's, uh, so it's a profession of faith also in her power of intercession, because that too, of course, would take us into the, um, the intercessory power of the saints in general, um, that the saints can intercede uh, for us, um, and, and they do. Uh, and are these the first of them? And then just like we would ask uh, another individual on earth to pray for us, the saints are yeah. more alive than we are. And so why not ask all of the saints in heaven? Because then you're joining millions and millions upon uh, of prayers to one's own. And why not do that since we are a family after all? Absolutely. St. Thomas actually says that in, in the, um, uh, the liturgical prayer for the Feast of All Saints, uh, actually says it too. <clears throat> By the multiplication of intercessors, it says, uh, may we receive whatever he was asking for. So, and St. Thomas says that the more intercessors we have, the more likely God is to hear our prayers. Hmm. That's why on big feasts, for example, or on big events, we say the litany of saints. Get all these saints interceding for us. And it just creates, there's a great momentum of prayer that's coming. When you ask a saint to pray, but he prays, and he has a power of intercession with God, uh, which is effective. Of course, Our Lady more than all the others, but uh, hers, like any mother, I mean, she's not, <laughs> what mother would cancel out her children, right? So she, she's very happy for all the other saints to intercede for her as well, but um, it doesn't contradict that either. Um, so yeah, it's a beautiful thing, this intercession of the saints and very consoling. Very we, learn, we learn too in uh, the apocalypse to St. John that these prayers are mingled with incense before the throne of God, which is such a beautiful image. Yes, he says actually that the incense offered by the angel is the prayers of the saints. Mm. So in other words, when the angel offers up incense in, on the altar of God in the apocalypse, he's offering up the prayers of the saints. The mm. prayers of the saints understood as the ones that are in heaven, but also the ones that are on the earth, because St. Paul refers to the to his disciples as the saints, the ones who are justified in Christ Jesus. So what that means, <clears throat> this is very motivating for our spiritual life, is that <clears throat> the more we pray, 
the more incense we're giving to that angel to offer up to God. Wow. I hadn't thought of it that right? way. Wow. <laughs> Ordinary. This is just, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? The more you pray, the more fervently, the more incense the, the angel can offer up to God and the more pleasing it is. And uh, at our solemnities, when our mass is being done properly and incense is being used, we can look to that incense as that image, can't we? That is, that is literally our prayers being offered up to God by the angel. Certainly is, yes, yes. And the, uh, the verse of the psalm that's recited in the old Latin mass for that actually expresses that, you know, that, that, this, in, that this incense rises like prayer before thee. Uh, so it's, um, or rather, our prayer rises like incense. So um, very beautiful, very evocative. So that brings us on to the next line. Nunc et in hora mortis nostrae, now and at the hour of our death. So any translation issues from Greek into Latin for that line? Well, again, that's, that wouldn't be in the scriptures. Um, uh, I don't, I mean, I do know the Greek text, but uh, yes. I, had, I had to go and find it somewhere. But, uh, um, How about from no, Latin? No, English. Any no, 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 no issue there. Um, <coughs> the issue, the issue is this. Um, there's the nuke, the now, mm -hmm. and that, and there's the hora motis, the hour of death. Okay, so it's like this. You've got the 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 nuke is here, and the hora mortis is there, right? Mm. Well, every time you say the Hail Mary. Your nunc and your horomortis are getting closer. Because <laughs> the, the hour of death has been determined by God and it's not going to move. Mm. It's not going to, you don't know it, but it's been set by God. It's not going to move. But the hour, the now is constantly going straight towards it mm. at full speed. Okay. <laughs> so it's sort of like a time bomb. Every time you say the Hail Mary, you you're, you're heading faster and faster. You're never at the same spot. And yeah. so uh, one day, you know, if, you, if you're a devotee of Our Lady and you pray the Hail Mary frequently, one day that, you know, that now and that hour of death are going to be, they're going to be the same. Mm -hmm. and, and blessed are you if, if when you die, you actually are saying the words, you know, how, what more blessed death could you want to have than uh, invoking the mother of God at the moment of your death. Wow. And then, of course, we're right back to amen or... Amin. <laughs> All right. And that's that's the Hail Mary. Okay, we've got one last prayer to do. It's a short one, but uh, a lot could be said about it. All right. We're now on to the glory be. So gloria patri et filio et spiritui sancto. Mm -hmm. So we're back yes. in we're back in Greek to Latin now. Yes. Well, again, the, the prayer such yeah, you won't find the scripture. Uh, of course, the word gloria doxa in the Latin, uh, in the sorry, in the Greek, uh, and then patri filio et spiritui sancto. So, uh, the glory be to the Father, of course, is a very old prayer, uh, that um, the church has prayed. I don't think I'm not sure anybody can say exactly when it started being prayed as such. She's as far as, as we can as we know, it was prayed in the liturgy, especially at the end. Uh, the Psalms, for example, and the church still does that at the end of every psalm, we pray the Gloria Patri. <coughs> it's a doxology in the sense that it, it, it's a song of praise and glorification of God, which comes at the end uh, to culminate, to bring to, to culmination, as it were, everything else that's been said. Um, 
so that we can, you know, at the end of our prayer, recapitulate as it were, and, and remind ourselves that, well, everything that we do is for the glory of God. As St. Paul says, everything you do, do it in the name of Christ for the glory of God. Um, and that's actually yeah, we, a liturgical maxim too, isn't it? That, uh, that liturgy is all about, first and foremost, glorifying the Father, and second to that, sanctifying his people through the sacrifice of Christ that is offered eternally to the Father. Correct, absolutely. It's mm. the it's the laus gloriae. Uh, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, I don't know if you're familiar with her, we could talk about her, her prayer one day someday too, it would be great to talk about. Um, she, her motto was laus gloriae, which is... Um, St. Paul used that expression at the beginning of the epistle to the Ephesians that I already mentioned earlier. He said, we were all called to be the praise of his glory, laus gloriae. And uh, so we, by the mercy of God, are called to be the praise of his glory, to sing the praise of his glory. In other words, to proclaim with all of our might his glory and greatness. Mm. That's what the church does. That's what Christ does, okay? There's only one being that can praise God as he deserves. That's Christ himself, the word incarnate, who is both God and man. From, from the heart and lips of Christ Jesus, our Lord, the only really perfect prayer rises to the Father for all eternity. And, and the prayer of the church is assumed into his prayer. That's what the liturgy is about, is that we come to the Mass and to the Divine Office we unite all the prayers. We offer them through the mediator, the God-man, our Lord. He takes them and he offers them up to the glory of the Father. And, and then it becomes really pleasing to the Father and the Holy Spirit. And all glory is given him, which is what we sing at the end of the Eucharistic prayer. You know, all, all, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, huh? through him, with him, and in him. Uh, and so... And for all eternity, that's what we will do. We will be the praise of his glory. That's, uh, yeah, that just blows you away when you come to think about that. So, and it starts here. It starts here in faith, but really. Yeah, absolutely. So, sicut erat in principio. As it, as it was in, in the beginning. Yeah, as it was. Beginning of what, Father? <laughs> well, sure. Oh, that would take us really far away. Um, <laughs> In the beginning. So in the beginning is the first words of Genesis, right? It's also the first words of the Gospel of St. John. What is this in the beginning? Mm. <laughs> in the begin say in the beginning of time. So, uh, but it also means before the beginning of time, uh, uh, forever, eternally. Because we, uh, our words are weak. We can't express this great mystery of the eternity of God. So in the beginning means, well, as far back as you can remember. Uh, that's, that's the easiest way to, to remember that, to, mm. to be conscious of what you're saying say that. So in the beginning is now and ever shall be as well. This is again talking about the, the eternity of God, isn't it? This infinite yeah. being. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can link it up with um, um, the word of St. John, the Apocalypse, um, who speaks of the one who, who was uh, who was, who is, and who will come. Um, so again, or, or when St. Paul says to the Hebrews that Jesus Christ yesterday, today, and forever, he's eternal. Uh, he always has been, he always will be, and there's nobody else. There's that, there's that too. <coughs> We're not, there's no revelation to come. There's no other way to the Father. 
the definitive of, uh, the revelation of God in Christ is definitive and uh, it will always be that way. Mm. That's that's the faith of the church that we proclaim every time we say glory be. Mm. And that's, no that, that's the et nunc et semper. So that's now and always yeah. will be. Will be, yes. That, that last little section is, is quite interesting. Et in secula seculorum. This is world without end, isn't it? Yeah, right. so, so seculum, the seculum is the, the century of the age. So the age of age. Um, the the, that's the, the tra English translation of that is quite interesting <coughs> in the sense that it's a curious way of expressing yourself, world without end. Mm -hmm. uh, to my knowledge, I don't know of any other languages that express it that way. It's usually, you know, from age to age or from century to century. Um, yeah, because it's quite confusing too, isn't it? Because when you, if you were to say world without end, but then read the book of Revelation, it would seem that the world does end. Yeah, no, that's not, that's not what it means. World without end means in the world to come, which will be without end. Uh -huh. In eternity. For eternity, that's what it means. Wonderful. And Father, you have given so much of your time to us um uh we we discussed early on that we we might go for an hour or we might go for an hour and a half we are definitely coming up on the hour and a half is there any final words that you would like to say on uh, on any or all three of these prayers oh well just uh, quite simply uh, make them your your favorite prayers and your best friends there uh in we in, when we are with children we learn or we should learn uh the christian the prayers of the christian and the first ones of course the our father the hell mary glory be well let them accompany you and have them always there at your side because um uh look um it's it's only through prayer that we can fulfill the will of god that we can avoid falling into temptation that we can stay in state of grace and uh the only reason people do fall away from god is that they don't pray hmm. You perseveres. So it is essential to pray every day, and especially in times of temptation and trial. Uh, so when you want, and when you have prayers that you know by heart that you can, you know, even if you are suffering, mm. anybody can pray a few prayers, a Hail Mary, slowly. Uh, and it's just power. It's just it's just replete with divine plenitude and uh uh it, it can only give you great peace and joy and uh, and help you overcome the walls of the enemy. If you pray, the devil can't get a hold on you. That's the shield. That is such good advice. Uh, I, I must admit, you know, I'm a Benedictine oblate, so I have promised to pray Lords and Vespers every day. And I always find in these crazy times when I can't receive the sacraments, especially confession, um, my prayer life seems to fall away, but uh, I don't think there's going to be anything that's going to stop me from praying Vespers this evening, Father. You have inspired me greatly, and I just can't thank you enough for giving us so much of your time. Well, you're most welcome. It's been my pleasure, Matthew. That's excellent. And now, if, you, if you've got another uh, 10 minutes or so, I'm sure our live participants would love to say hello and ask a couple of questions. Can you hang around for a few minutes? Yeah, no problem. 
Excellent. Well, I'll end the recording there. So to all those who are listening afterwards, uh, thank you very much. We're going to release this during the Rosary Pilgrimage. So I really hope that this talk really assists you in your spiritual Rosary Pilgrimage. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye for now and God bless. Thanks for listening to the Perusia Podcast Network, produced in partnership with EWTN Asia Pacific and Voice of Charity Radio Australia. To catch up on all Perusia podcast episodes, please visit perusiamedia.com forward slash podcast or subscribe to our podcasts in your favourite podcast app. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your family and friends. And for more information about everything Perusia, please visit our website at perusiamedia.com. God bless.